As we come now before the very Word of God, if you'd like to read with me, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 John, the first letter of John in chapter 5. I'll read in a moment from 1 John 5, but before we do, uh, would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are good and strong and sure. You are the one who has laid down his life for the sheep that we might live. You have come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Lord, you are our only hope. So would you help us now to hear your word with living ears, to help us see with living eyes. By your spirit, would you guide us to believe and to praise you as we believe. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is 1 John in chapter 5. Uh, we have just a few verses to take up this morning. We'll begin in verse 11 and read through uh, the end of 15. So 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. This is the word of God. Now, as John is winding his letter here down to a close, he reminds us again of his whole purpose in writing. He doesn't just have one purpose. John has several purposes that he mentions throughout this letter. He's written before this, he says, I write to make our joy complete. That as we join in fellowship of shared purpose together, it will complete our joy. He also says, I write so that you will not continue in sin. I write because your sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus. I write because you know God the Father. I write because you have overcome the evil one. I write because you know the truth that Jesus is the Christ. He says all of these purposes throughout the letter, but now he come, we come to the final purpose John names. It's in verse 13. I'll read it again. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 
That's his purpose here. Now, when we say eternal life, that makes some people instantly think that we're talking about heaven. And that's not mainly the case here. Eternity does extend far beyond our bodily death into the new life of heaven and the new life even of the new heavens and the new earth. But our life now is part of that eternal life. We know that Jesus routinely says that. He says in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse where is it? Verse 24, Jesus says this. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. We have eternal life. We've passed from death to life. That crossover from death to life doesn't happen after the death of our bodies. That happens here. Before we take our last breath on earth, we have passed from death into eternal life. So we can think about it this way. If we imagine all of the span of life eternal as one giant feast, all of eternal life is one big banquet we could say that we are now munching on the appetizers. Maybe we're having the first course. I don't know, I'm not fancy enough to know exactly how all that works out. Uh, We know that we're not tasting all of the food yet. There's far better, juicier dishes that are still in front of us, but we're not just sitting and waiting around hungry either. We are now being nourished on the food of the eternal life of Christ. We're told that eternal life is in Christ, and eternal life is the Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus, he says here at the end of this letter, is the true God and is eternal life. So if you have Jesus, you have life. Not just life in your body, but life in your spirit as well. Eternal life is given to everyone who has faith in Jesus who is the life. Now, We need to notice something here, something important about our belief. Because John's written lots of things in the scriptures. He's the author of the book of Revelation. He's the author of three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's also the author of the Gospel of John. And when John writes the Gospel of John, he also tells us, the listeners, his purpose in writing the Gospel. This is what he says toward the end, at the end of chapter 20 of John's Gospel. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. And let me unpack this a bit. This sounds very similar to the purpose of his letter. John's connecting things like believing, 
to Jesus, the Son of God, to having life. All of those are bundled up together, but the purposes of John's gospel and John's letter are different in a very important way. In the gospel, he says he writes so that the listeners may believe. I want you to believe and to have life in Jesus. I write so that you will believe. But here in the letter, he says he writes to listeners who already believe. I write to you to tell you that you already have life in Jesus. In this letter where we are here, John's not looking for converts. He's not looking to lead people to become Christians. That's good, just not the purpose here. He doesn't want us to gain life in Jesus. He wants us to know that we already have life in Jesus. We who believe are to know we have eternal life in Christ. So today I want to unpack that. The focus of our attention this morning will be on the doctrine of assurance. We'll look at our assurance here. Assurance is not just that we have eternal life, not just that we have all our sins forgiven in Jesus, not just that we have God's Spirit within us, but that we know we have all of that. That we individually would become assured in our faith. And I want to make a few observations about assurance that will help us, that will give us good confidence. Before I can do that, I need first to acknowledge the flip side of the coin. There is such a thing as false assurance. It's not news to us. There's such a thing as false assurance. There are some unbelievers who are aware that they don't believe in Jesus. Some don't believe and they know they don't believe. Maybe they think Christianity is wrong or harmful or outdated or oppressive or anything else. Maybe they're angry or antagonistic toward Christianity. Maybe they just don't care. But for whatever reason, there's no assurance in that person at all. False assurance or true a person or, or true assurance. There's no assurance. They know they don't believe. But there are other unbelievers who are unaware of their unbelief. They think they're all on board with Jesus and they have a false assurance. You know, some of the most chilling words that Jesus says in the Gospels are about people who have false assurance. He says, as part of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Burr. False assurance is a serious thing. And at the root of false assurance is usually some sort of false belief. That belief can take many forms. There's the false belief of universalism, which is the belief that that everyone will be saved, no matter what they think of Jesus, that God's just going to raise everybody up and give everyone life. That's a false belief. There's also false belief in moralism, that we think we can be saved if I'm good enough or at least better than my neighbor. And that is not the grace of God. That's a life built upon my own works. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's a false belief. There's also a false belief of prosperity, that if I seem to have blessing in my life, if I seem to have some measure of power or wealth or health or family or good things of any sort, that must be an indicator that I have God's favor and the life of Jesus in me. These are false beliefs, and, and people who believe these things may have a measure of assurance, but it's a false assurance. Let's not be naive or foolish. Confidence doesn't give you life. A person can confidently insist that he is alive even while he's dead inside. And if there is any of you who is like that here, I pray that the Spirit right now would wake you up from the dead to see your false assurance. I have to say those things and acknowledge them. But John is not focused on the unbeliever here. He's not trying to shake people with the call to believe. He's writing to believers. He's writing to give us assurance of life in Jesus. So that's where I want our focus to be, to really soak in that assurance and to learn everything we can about it. So I want now, in the rest of our time, to make three observations about assurance. The first observation is this, that the Christian can lack assurance. A Christian, a true Christian, can lack assurance. A Christian might still have doubts about his faith. A Christian may still be unsure whether she has life or not. We know this because John writes to these believers in Jesus. He writes, so that you may know. That assumes that there are many who don't, who need teaching on this, who need reminding of this, who are struggling with some measure of uncertainty. In John's immediate context, we know that the churches that he writes to have been bombarded with these invasions of false doctrine. There were many false teachers with the spirit of Antichrist, and they've injected confusion into the churches. 
And that has led many Christians to become unsure of their life in Jesus, to have this uneasy feeling of being stuck in limbo, that somehow, yes, I might trust Jesus, but, but I also maybe need to knock on wood and cross my fingers too. So I want you to listen to me now. If you struggle with wondering about your salvation into the life of Jesus, if you struggle with that, that struggle does not mean that you aren't a believer. It does not mean that you aren't saved. Salvation is not the same thing as the assurance of salvation. You might have salvation, but not have assurance. Let me give you a sort of silly example. Imagine that there's a man uh, who, who has to have a heart transplant. So he gets it all scheduled, goes into the hospital, goes under the, the sedative, and, and he wakes up from the anesthesia, and, and his old heart is gone. He's got a new heart in his chest, but he can't see the heart, because none of us can. There are signs that give good evidence that he's had a transplant. You know, he's got a hospital gown, a gown on with a little hat to keep everything clean. He's got some new uh, pain maybe a change in some of the old pain. The doctor comes in and tells him about how the procedure all went. He's got a, ch a scar on his chest even, so he can see the scar, but he can't see the heart. And so after a while, this man begins to doubt whether he really has a new heart at all. Now, whether or not this man feels sure that his heart are new that feeling does not change the reality that his heart is new. The heart's still new whether he feels it or not. A similar thing is true with the heart of faith. Our degree of confidence does not change the reality of what Jesus has done. So if you doubt, there is space for that. The scripture says, have mercy on those who doubt. So we should know that a true Christian can lack assurance. That's our first observation. A Christian can lack assurance. Now, the second is a Christian can have assurance. Christians can have assurance. John writes, so that believers may know that they have eternal life. That assurance is not imaginary, it's not hypothetical, it is reasonable and reachable. John regularly speaks about all of us as Christians as sons of God, that, that we're to think of ourselves in terms that, that God is our father, I am his child, we're adopted into the family of God. And it is right and good for families to have assurance in their family, to know that they belong to that family. Can you imagine if a parent were to give his kids the idea that they could never really know whether or not he's actually their father? 
that the best the kid could do is just hope that I'm their dad. Hope that I love them. You imagine what kind of things that would do to the child. Fill them with anxiety and ambiguity and angst. What a horrible thing to rob a child of any assurance in their family. And the same is true with God's family of his children, too. He wants us to be assured. Now, some people will insist, nope, nope. No one can have real assurance of life in Jesus. You can be confident that Jesus gives life, but you can't be confident if Jesus gives life to me. There have even been branches in the church throughout history that taught that. In the 1500s, there was something called the Council of Trent, Uh, where the the Roman Catholic Church assembled a bunch of people in in a sort of counter-reformation, if you know historical things. But but this Council of Trent issued a bunch of doctrinal decrees from the church. And in the decree on, on justification, the Council of Trent wrote this, quote, No one can know with a certainty of faith that he has obtained the grace of God. That was the decree. In other words, no assurance is ever possible for anyone. At best, you can just hope that you've been given God's grace, hope that your sins are forgiven, hope that you have eternal life in Jesus, but that hope is not really sure. And that teaching goes against everything that God's word says. John tells us, I write so that you'll know Paul says the Spirit testifies that we are God's children, not just that we might be or hope to be. The author of Hebrews leans into these things in a similar sort of way in one of the uh, most famous verses. Oh, if I can find it. In Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, verse, where is it, 22, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We can have full assurance of faith. Now, there are some people who are still going to say, that doesn't sound right. That sounds arrogant to say that you could have full assurance of faith. How could you really know that you have life? That's, that's presumptuous. You just need to do your best and be humble and find out when you die. Don't you for a moment listen to that hogwash. If those thoughts come up in your own mind, you push them out. It is not arrogant to have assurance of life in Jesus. You know what is arrogant? To presume that we can correct God's word to fix it. You know, John says, oh, he wrote so that we'll know that we have life. But what he really means is we're just going to give us a pretty good guess at it so that we'll know that we have a pretty good chance at life. 
No, listen to what his word says here. God tells us in his word that the Christian can have confidence. That brings us then to our third observation. That the Christian should have assurance. The Christian should have assurance. Not contradicting what we said in our first point. This is not to say that we are unsaved if we lack assurance. We've already said it, still agree. There is good space for doubt. We also don't want to think that assurance is exceptional. That assurance is some sort of elite status that are only for the super saintly Christians. If you look in verse 13, he says, I write these things to all of you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I want every one of you who is a believer, every one of you who is a Christian to know, 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 to be assured you have life. This is to be the typical life of the Christian. We, we're not meant to, to walk around in some hazy state of maybes and hope so's. It is our duty, our responsibility, our invitation to pursue a confidence that's found in Jesus. That's what Peter's talking about in his second letter in chapter 1, verse 10. He says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Pursue it. Go after it. Be diligent for it. It doesn't mean that we're always going to feel 100% certain every day. But it does mean that there is good, solid, reasonable assurance that Christ has made me alive so that I'm able to say not just Jesus is life, but Jesus is my life, that I know now that I have eternal life in Jesus. This is important for us. If we are to be maturing, growing Christians, people who are able to minister to others, we, we have to prioritize finding a measure of assurance of our life. Finding assurance in ourselves first. That's not selfish. That's a proper confidence. You know, how, how could Moses even begin to tell the slaves in Egypt that God has come to rescue him unless Moses is first assured that God is with him? How could Joshua tell the people, be strong and courageous as you go to fight Jericho unless Joshua is first assured that God is with him? How can the apostles testify to the risen King Jesus who is going to come again unless they are first assured that Jesus is with them? How then can you tell your friends and neighbors about the eternal life in Jesus unless you are first assured that God is with you? That Jesus is more than just the life, that he is your life. We don't want to become cowards. 
who shrink in fear if our confidence gets shaky. We don't want to become cheats who are going to try to fake some sort of false confidence and look like hypocrites. We just want to live as children of God. Children who have a true, confident assurance through our faith in Jesus. The sort of assurance that will bring us real peace, real joy, real strength in God so that that peace, joy, and strength can begin to flow out of us and to others. That's what we want. The Christian should have assurance. Now, that brings us to the big question. You've maybe been wondering this already. The big question is this. How? How do I know? How do I have true assurance so that I can really know I have eternal life? How? John doesn't outline it here because he doesn't need to. He's been telling us these things all throughout his letter, giving us good assurance. He steers us clear of things that don't give us assurance. You know, assurance is not through having particular successes or struggles in my life, things that, you know, some sort of sign whether God loves me or hate me. It's not whether or not I have sin. A mature Christian is more and more aware of his sin as he grows and doesn't say he's without sin, nor is it whether I can understand every doctrine of faith. That's not it. That's not the source of a true assurance. But there are several repeated themes throughout this letter that point us to a confident assurance. If you want assurance of life in Jesus, you should ask yourself three questions. Listen, I won't repeat these. Ask yourselves three questions. One, do I believe in Jesus? Two, do I love God and my brother? And three, do I want to obey God's commands? If you can answer yes to those, know that you have eternal life in Jesus. Breathe in that knowledge. Faith, love, and obedience, these are evidence of God's Spirit at work in you. These are signs of God's salvation in you. These are like the scar on your chest that shows that you've been cut open and been given a new heart by God, new life in Jesus. John writes to us that we may know that Christ is our life. So put it on. Put on that full robe of assurance and wear it with confidence and with thankfulness. Pray with me. Lord,
You are the God over all. And so, Lord, if we face doubt, would you drive the dark of doubt away and fill us with your great confidence? Cause us who believe to know with full conviction that we are your children, that you have given us life, and that we are safe in you. Lord, would you produce the sort of assurance in us that fills us with joy, with peace, and with praise, that we would praise you forever. We ask this grace in Jesus' name. Amen.